Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Srihari Gavandarajan, Senior Director of Finance Transformation at PayPal. Srihari joins Emerge CEO and Head of Research Daniel Fagella on today's program to talk about how PayPal approaches fraud and policy abuse including how they leverage a bespoke version of ChatGPT they refer to as FraudGPT. Throughout the episode, the pair scrutinize the concrete value of LLMs and other forms of generative AI in FinServe workflows, specifically in mitigating fraud. Today's episode is sponsored by Riskified, and without further ado, here's their conversation. So, Sri, welcome to the program. Hi, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for ha- having me here. Yeah. Glad to be able to pull you into this discussion. You've got a bit of a rare background within you know, your finance experience and some of your experience around AI and data, which we're going to get into. I want to set the table about the topic you and I initially talked about, which is of great interest to the audience right now, which is sort of around the trends and challenges of finance leadership, particularly since COVID. Everything's gone digital. You guys at PayPal have undeniably felt the effects of that. And there's been fraud, policy abuse, other kinds of challenges that have sort of flown into the mix at a greater extent. Maybe you could just talk high level about what's been new and different and and even challenging for finance leaders. Yeah. So as you know, PayPal, we as a payment service provider, you know, we have several touch points in a given transaction that happens in an e-commerce scenario. So we have potential for fraud in multiple touch points. So we have multiple actors involved. So we have banks, we have payment processors, we have the user giving us information. It can be basic information, but also what we call PII being transmitted through the network. So we need to make sure that all the data that is going in is secure. And then we provide a secure environment for the customers in terms of the transaction end-to-end. So what we call end-to-end is from checkout until there is a successful transaction that happens. So what that translates into in terms of finance is, you know, we need to make sure that we collect the data, what we call as the site, which is where we say the checkout process initiates, and then all the way to the processing completed, and then the the customer is, is successful checkout, and then how the transaction is booked from a finance standpoint. So there is a lot going on behind the scenes. We uh, handle, I would say, you know, millions of transactions in a given minute and looking at the data, looking at the model accuracy, looking at the compliance, we also need to make sure of what we call as the bias and fairness in terms of, you know, applying AI in all this uh, transaction that we do. Yeah. Are those biased concerns greater now just with more transaction volume and also maybe with more granularity on the data, who's making the purchase, what their demographics are, what what makes that a maybe a greater concern or or trend for you right now? Yeah. So as you know, the, the volume has been substantially increased as oh, yeah. we grow into different markets, there are different regulations. Post-COVID, you know, obviously in COVID, we saw a huge spike in terms of the purchases online, as, as you can imagine. And you have seen also the, the industry leaning towards an online purchasing more than ever in the in the covid time frame and what that does for us is to ensure that we have a secure environment for the purchaser to come from both for merchant and consumer because we deal with consumers merchants and networks so networks has all the infrastructure what we call the banks providers and all the processes in between so that's an end to end that we need to make sure that we have the data secure going in from 
consumer to merchant via the providers. Got it. And as you'd mentioned, there's many touch points where fraud potentially comes into the mix. You deal with buyers and sellers. You have to presumably understand maybe the identity of people. You know, there's a lot more concerns around know your customer and know your customer's customer in financial kind of services broadly, retail transactions, et cetera. Have there been areas of fraud that you've seen maybe for yourself and also your peers? You know, we, we focus a lot on retail for the series, so maybe even peers in retail. Components of fraud or, or elements of fraud that have been more challenging? For example, we've heard a lot about kind of organized crime and whether it's, you know, some very scaled up way of, of taking advantage of some coupon or, you know, some refund scheme or something along those lines. So some people have brought that kind of stuff up. Have there been any trends for you where they've been a bigger deal uh, over the last couple of years in, in a way that you think leaders should really know about? Yeah. So, so fraud is something that we constantly deal with. So some of the initiatives that we work on is you know, how do we preemptively fight fraud? So we, we build these risk toolkits around you know, handling fraud. So we have, you know, as you know, popular GPT. So we have a version of that, what we call as fraud GPT to handle that. So that's, that's one of the toolkits that we employ in ah. terms of securing, you know, preemptively fighting the fraud. And that's, a, that's an internal engineering aspect of it that we do, but it, it, it really builds upon what you see out there as the large language models, what we call, which is what the chat GPT is, is yes. all about. So we have a version of that where we build in all mm. the different layers of risk so that we can preemptively handle the risk and also report it accordingly. So for instance, we have from a know your customer standpoint, one of the things that we have to capture and also report it to IRS is, you know, the, the VAT and the TIN information of the customer, which is actually a sensitive information. So in doing that, we'll have to we apply these frameworks so that the data is secure and also if any indicators of fraud is appearing, we report it immediately. So to give you an example, so we do a lot of what we call as, you know, a trading across the borders. So let's say if you have a merchant who sells in the U.S. and the, the merchandise is sold in, in, in dollars, but then you have a customer who is an online purchaser sitting in Brazil, we allow them what we call as multi-currency transaction yes, where, yes. They, where they can purchase in their local currency, but then there is an FX applied in this. So yep. in this transaction, there is also a potential for fraud that we usually elevate and then we preemptively check and see that is my FX processing done right? And if there is a, the rate that is being applied is also you know, goes through this risk layer to ensure that there is no fraud happening. Got it. And I imagine that seems like it's going to be significantly more challenging going international, right? Because I imagine the KYC data that you would have in Brazil is very different than Chicago or or Boston or something like that. Is, is that a, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It feels so, like it's darker in different areas of the world. It's darker in different regions of the world. And also what the, the other layer of complexity that comes in is the regulation that we have to deal with. So we'll have to make sure that the, the government bodies also need us to report certain aspects of it, of every transaction that we process. So that also we need to take care of. Got it. Okay. And I want to talk before we get into data and AI, which there's going to be a lot to dish out here. I want to talk a little bit about the effects of some of these fraud trends on someone in finance. You know, you and many of your peers are not handling fraud, you know, onesie twosie, you know, there's departments doing that, but but it affects your work. And when you and I talked off microphone, you know, you'd mentioned things like forecasting and sort of looking at risk. And we've heard finance leaders in retail have things like policy abuse, be things they have to take extra precautions and, and considerations for. 
what does it look like in terms of how it affects the life of a finance leader? You know, how, how these different these different fraud types factor into your your day-to-day work, I guess. Yeah. So so for us, you know, we do generally there is budgeting, planning, and forecasting. But when we do forecasting, we do what we call as a risk-based forecasting. So we enable the risk factor. So everything is tied to, so there is a risk framework that we have that we apply to the financial data as well. So when we generate our forecast, we have a, so we do multiple scenario planning. One of the scenario is a risk-based forecasting that we do you know, internally to look at how the external global risk factors are included in our forecasting. And then we generate what the potential revenue on and expenses will look like. And expenses will come on, you know, how do we handle the regulatory risk? How do we handle the reporting risk? And then in terms of revenue, obviously, there is a transaction risk that we need to look at. Got it. And so with more types of fraud challenges, does this just imply more thinking and rethinking different variations of scenarios? Does it mean updating old models about how we could forecast this kind of revenue or could forecast this kind of behavior? Like what what is that sort of practical impact? Yeah, so it, it's it's really more of, you know, this has been lately, this has been the focus, you know, risk-based forecasting is what we look at. We have this uh, thing called risk loss and revenue enablement. So the huh. more we okay. mitigate risk that enables us revenue. So what we call as loss reduction, essentially. So how can we reduce the loss based on these risks, looking at the digital identity of the customers? And then we also provide, we are going to provide you know, this risk as a service. So basically fraud protection, chargeback protection, these are all uh, service that we provide. And we also provide that I mentioned earlier on multiple currencies, we do FX as a service. So that helps in monetization enablement for, the, for our merchants. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. This will pivot us a little bit into the solutions to this space. Clearly a lot of trends. We've heard it from everybody. This big shift to digital has implied a lot of new challenges, but there's also a lot of new tools to potentially help and and to go beyond onesie-twosie sampling of fraud and things like that. You are kind of a rare finance person that that actually has done some schooling on the sort of data and AI side as well. When you look forward and, and ask yourself, hey, where can data AI advanced analytics begin to really make a dent on some of these fraud challenges that are affecting forecasting, et cetera. What are for you some of the big opportunities? You mentioned the fraud GPT thing, which obviously is an interesting use case, but you can go beyond that just high level. What do you think leaders should be thinking about for unlocking the power of data to stop some of these hurdles and challenges? Yeah. So I think we have to leverage the Gen AI. Today, Gen AI is at a point where we can we can leverage, like we leverage for customer service, we leverage for you know, processing, payment processing, and many aspects of the business today. And that's what customers should look for in how do we enable Gen AI across, across the board. Yeah. And what it does is, you know, some of the key aspects that I want, you know, for customers to look at is, you know, how does the data quality and governance impact the costs? So it, it comes down to, with any AI model, it's all about data cleaning and pre-processing that needs to happen and how accurate your model is. And obviously, poor data governance will lead to breaches of data protection laws and regulations that will end up resulting in legal penalties, which is also mm. reputational damage. Right? Yes. So proper data governance will allow us as a safety net to ensure that we are always compliant in terms of regulations. The other aspect of data governance that, that I would suggest is how do we handle bias and fairness? Okay. The data is not properly governed, so that may contain biases that will be learned. So 
as you know, in AI, it's all about the training model. How do you set up the training model? And if there are biases included in there, your outcome is not really a true reflection of the market or it's not the true reflection of the risk that you're going to come across. So bias and fairness is a key aspect of it when you're uh, implementing AI. So data has to be properly governed. We have to address these bias. It will in- involve additional costs in both identifying the biases in the model's output, also for collecting and integrating so that we have a more balanced data when we train these AI models. And then the last aspect that I would touch upon that that is a very, I would say, you know, important aspect is trust and transparency. So this again goes back to data quality, how it can, most of the initiative that we see, and this is again, we've, we've done many iterations, we have learned through experience, is how poor data quality and governance can undermine trust in AI initiatives. The stakeholders don't trust the data that's being used, so they'll be less likely to support the initiative. So we have to make sure that it is the data trust is imbibed in the quality of the data that we bring in through the training model. So the RAI model gives us the right output. Got it. And to touch on some of that governance, bias and fairness, trust and transparency, these are related concerns. And I think if if companies think about implementing AI in a holistic way, hopefully they're they're considering some of this, but this is good for the listeners to tune into. When you think about bias and fairness, I'm trying to think about practically what that looks like, you know, from the perspective of a retailer or something along those lines. Is it sort of, hey, if we're training a fraud model, maybe we have certain zip codes that have inordinately higher fraud, but maybe we don't we don't want to bias so heavily towards those zip codes because then it it sort of implies that everybody we do business with has similar patterns to the zip code that may correlate to some protected quality of human beings that we don't we don't really want to to scale up at a certain level. This is just me guessing, by the way. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah. what is what do those real concerns mean for you? Right. So when you say bias and fairness, it really comes down to this. It's, it's one of the things that you said is location bias, that we need to make sure that the location sample is good enough that it kind of covers a broader spectrum of the geography that you're looking at. Okay. Sometimes since we we are mostly international as well, so we need to bring in a mix of not just U.S. data, but also non-U.S. data as well. So that's where we can reduce the bias and fairness because now we are not just sampling a specific location. The location horizon is broad enough to handle the bias. And also it's a fair to make sure that because a merchant, if you look at it from a merchant standpoint, they are looking to address global customers. They're not looking for a one particular local customer base. So we yeah. need to bring data across the globe. And that is the right data for our AI model, for the training model, so that we handle bias and fairness with that. Got it. Any closing notes for you on transparency? We'll wrap in a minute here, but you brought up this idea of transparency and trust. Part of this is making sure, hey, is what we've fed this algorithm going to be producing results that we've, we feel confident is not going to be unduly biased in any given way. That's important. And having transparency and knowing what data was trained on also feels important. Anything else for you that would heighten trust and allow retail finance leaders to to adopt AI with more confidence? Any kind of closing note there that could be good for yeah. leaders to know? Yeah, what I would suggest you know, is investing in data quality and governance can significantly reduce the overall costs of your AI initiatives. And at the same time, it also improves the effectiveness and the trustworthiness. So having a well-governed, high-quality data set ensures that the models are trained efficiently, they perform well, and they actually give you and generate reliable, unbiased outputs. Yeah. And I wish I could tell you every enterprise 
you know, person we spoke with, Sri, had a really strong focus on data quality as one of their first steps. But I think they all kind of need to hear it that this is not exactly an optional thing if you want to have trust and transparency. So I know that's all we had for time. But Sri, I sincerely appreciate you being able to be here and share some of your insights with our audience. Thanks so much. Thank you. Happy to be here. In bringing this show to a close, I think it's worth noting that this is the first episode that we're hearing at least a name for a bespoke model uh, being developed in-house by a major enterprise. Of course, there have been bespoke models, at least for the last year, being leveraged across industries and in, in financial services is obviously no stranger. But needless to say, for Srihari's perspective on this show, I think we've reached a whole new level of being able to talk about at a very granular level how bespoke models would work for the enterprise and in the ways that model development works in concert with a less customer-facing, more internal foundational model, and then a more bespoke model for more direct customer-facing workflows. Really something... <laughs> Just interesting to have on the program and that we're talking about it for a while, very theoretically. And then, like Sputnik, it just appears in the sky. Really fascinating stuff and one of the big reasons it's just so much fun to work this podcast overall. If I can just toot my horn for a second. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>